0: Thank you, Leslie and Paul. And good to see all the rest of you here as well on a continued winter day. How many of you are ready for spring? That's, that is unanimous. That is unanimous. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, let's take our Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Acts. Last week we began um, more of an introduction, shall we say, the connection point between the Gospels. Uh, In in this case, we kind of jumped off from Luke, because he wrote Acts as well, and we're going to begin reading in Acts chapter 1, and we'll read the first 11 verses. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which He was taken up. After that, He, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom He had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of him forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, You have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence." When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. And may God add a special blessing to the reading him his word, and let us just bow in prayer before our study. Father God, we're here with anticipation, with thanksgiving with praise, honor for you, worship. And Father, we would ask that as we're gathered here in unison, Father, to gain more from you, from the Word, we would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher solely today. And Father, that the Spirit here would be of yours. that We would be unified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for your guidance. We pray relationally that these moments, You will take us to a level that we've not experienced with You before. We thank You so much for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, all man, all God, who paid the price, who bore my sins, who bore the sins of the world, that we could go free, expressing grace. Father, just the way You planned it, from before You made anything, You had chosen us in Him, Father, what a message, what a plan in the fruition of which we are gathered here even today, knowing that even the further truth, our glorification to be with you in heaven is forthcoming. Father, may you be praised and glorified. And again, these moments we look with yearning for the Spirit to teach us from your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. As I said briefly before, that uh, Luke, in fact, just turn back to the, to the gospel of Luke momentarily, and we'll read the last verses there. It's, it's like it was a, the volume one, if you will. Uh, Luke wrote volume one. He leaves us in verse 50 of Luke chapter 24, uh, saying this, and he led them out as far as, Be- as to Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. So it kind of leaves them in the temple. That's where Luke left them. And if you would take your Bibles and you would not have the book of Acts in it, you would turn from John to Romans. Just think of that for a moment. There's a lot of stuff that would be left out. How did the church get to Rome? All of that's addressed in the book of Acts. You can see the work, literally, that continued on. In fact, at this point, we would have to say, that's the Gospels, is the fact that Jesus Christ, when He said, it is finished, the work of redemption was finished. It was done. But the work wasn't finished. In fact, back to Acts chapter 1, it's really interesting. It says, in fact, that in verse 1, that he's writing, there's, there's a man by the name of Theophilus. And Theophilus, uh, we don't know anything about him other than that whoever they were writing to knew him well. Otherwise, he would have said more about him. But he was presented in Luke as most excellent Theophilus. So he was probably a Roman, um, what shall we say, a dignitary. Someone that would certainly have been of of prestige. But in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Acts, back there, it says, The former treatise, which would have been volume 1, Luke, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus, what's the word? Began. He began to, what? What's he beginning to do? To do and to teach. Well, there's a sense of credibility. How many people do you know that have a walk that doesn't match the talk? And you're all nodding, right? That's way life is, isn't it? There's a lot of walking that doesn't match the talking or vice versa. You know what, that's what I can say about my Jesus. His walk matched his talk. When he said something, you could count on the fact he did it as well. He was fully engaged in doing the truth just as much as he was in saying it. But beginning, that's interesting. I thought it was finished. Well, the redemption part was there's nothing that you can add to what Jesus Christ accomplished. Not one single tiny thing. And I'm glad of that. Because that means if I could do something, that means I could lose something. Jesus Christ made sure that it was finished, complete. The package was in a bow. It was handed to us. And how we receive it is by faith. That's how we receive it. By grace through faith. That's it. But here we are. If you receive that gift of faith, if you receive salvation, that Jesus Christ bearing your sins on the cross, literally then, you have taken on a mission. You're part of what has began with Jesus Christ is continuing forward. We have we've we talked about a couple of weeks ago, passing the baton. Passing the baton of a witnessing to the uttermost world. Now think of that. You have eleven disciples. One of them is gone, Judas Iscariot. He's committed suicide. You have eleven left that Jesus is meeting with on the mount and we come to Acts chapter one. It's building a bridge. He's like it's like a TV. Uh, show that ended in Luke and all of a sudden it's to be continued. Don't you love those? Not so much. But here he is. Acts chapter 1 is building that bridge, coming back into play and he he sets us up with the same event ultimately to bring us into the progression of the continuing on of the work of Jesus Christ. That's what Acts is. It's volume 2 written by the same God. How will this go? Here's Jesus Christ. Now, for 40 days it says that He was in His resurrected body, had not went to the Father. He is on earth, popping in here and there. You remember the disciples, shortly after He had risen from the dead, doors are locked. Why? Why would you have the doors locked in Jerusalem? If you killed the Master, they're probably going to come for you next, right? So they're going to lock the doors, and they did. There was 11 of them behind these. I'm sorry, there wasn't 11, was there? There was one guy gone. Thomas wasn't there. Doubting Thomas, right? Because of this event. And it says that Jesus just shows up. He's just like in the door. I don't know what that feels like, but if you have locked doors and you're not looking for intruders and all of a sudden someone is standing there and the first thing he says is what? Which is brilliant. Peace be unto you. That would be very appropriate, wouldn't it? Somebody just walked through the door. Peace be unto you. And he began to share with them, which he did for 40 days, in and out, in and out, in and out. In fact, a week later, he met with the disciples, and Thomas was there. And he said, What? After touching these infallible proofs, which we read of in Acts chapter 1, that would have been one of them. Thomas, take your hand and put it in my side. Thomas, here's my hands. Put your hands on mine. He said, Unless I feel those nail prints, I'll not believe. And what did he say? My Lord and my God. That's an infallible proof. Now there's many of them that we don't even know what they are as Luke describes them as that, but we'll get onto that in a moment. But literally, here's this Jesus for 40 days in His risen body that is communing, that is teaching, that He's doing, beginning if you will, continuing, what? The gathering of all of those that would be recipients of the finished work of redemption. He paid the price. We're doing that today. If you're in Christ, you have a mission. You are to Help gather those people through the message. There are six things that we're going to talk about today. Um, And you're saying, oh, no, not you and six things. That'll take forever. (laughs) Well, you know what happens. We just continue if we need to, right? At any rate, uh, this beginning, some of it is our perspective. How do you look at being a witness to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do you look at that? Um, There was a The St. Paul's Cathedral, which was, uh, I was going to say manufactured, was built many, many years ago in the the city of London. There was a man by the name of Sir Christopher Wren, W-R-E-N, that was the builder of that, if you will, the architect, a brilliant man. And there was, the London Times sent a reporter out to just interview in the construction of this, what would be very grandiose. And they went to the first individual, and he said, what are you doing? Well, I'm putting a rock in a slot. Can't you see that? Okay. It's okay. So the reporter moves on and goes to the second person. What are you doing? Well, I'm earning a day's work, a day's living. I'm, I'm, I'm earning wages. Okay. Goes to the third one. Now, keep in mind, all three guys were doing exactly the same job. The third one, i on being questioned, what are you doing? He said, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build the most magnificent cathedral ever in London. Now, which one do you think was focused? How do we see our work for Jesus Christ? Are we just hanging out? <laughs> Are we just putting a rock in a slot? Are we just showing up? And I'm not putting any guilt trip on anyone. It's easy to do, isn't it? Because we're not focused on Jesus Christ, it's hard for us to see what's being built. Our eyes are somewhat lower than what Jesus would want us to be. But think of the magnitude of what he's asking these 11 to do. Now, we're back in Acts. You think of this. He has given a mission to 11 men to canvas, beginning in Jerusalem, the entire world. (laughs) No cell phones, no internet, no television, no radio. No, what? How is this going to be accomplished? How could they do it? What do you think is re- going to their minds? In fact, their timing is a bit off, too, because we know in just a moment, ultimately, that literally they ask question, Is this the time when your kingdom's coming? In other words, we'll do our best, but it must be going to be happening right now. The end times. And, you know, someone would ask, are we living in the end times? Yes, we are. We've spent about 2,000 years already because they believed they were living in the end times. The end times has been a a parenthesis, if you will, that even the prophets didn't see. Daniel, the prophet, did not see the difference in time frame between Jesus' first and second coming. It was like mountaintops of not missing the valley. I I always think of the mountains in which we're so so beautiful, they're so majestic. But from here, the perspective we get, there's a whole lot you don't see until you start traversing those peaks and valleys. That's just like the gospel. Those of the Old Testament had no idea the scope of it. Yes, God was out in front of them. Yes, their faith was placed in God. But it was much deeper, much more robust, much more dimensional. Same gospel. Same Jesus. Even before he created anything, he said, God said in Ephesians 1:4, He, God, hath chosen us in him, Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. Same Jesus. At the end, Lord Jesus, come quickly," John says in Revelation. Isn't that something? That's a, what a fantastic thing to know that our God doesn't change. Same method. Same mode of, of action, the same love. Our job is to share it. that message of love. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through four, essentially, that it's so condensed Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Aren't you glad it happened according to the scriptures? Aren't you glad that it was written in the Old Testament so that it actually was fulfilled? Otherwise I'd have to say God's a liar. He's done. It's over. The scriptures means nothing. But it happened just like God said it was. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. That is as condensed as you can make the gospel. That's the greatest news I can think of. That's the greatest thing I could possibly tell you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never met Him personally, He is there with open arms saying, I paid for your sin. The sin that is separating you from God. And you, by faith, trusting. That is leaning on, completely putting all of your weight, all of your trust in Jesus Christ for your future, for your salvation. He then becomes your Savior changing everything everything because something happens to you now it's interesting now think of those 11 as they've gotten this mission you're going to go in the uttermost parts of the world i don't know if they even considered the how big that was even for us today think of it how many people live in the in the world eight billion approximately are we there yet or not quite i don't know but it's about that let's just use that that's a big number This world is huge. I was talking to an older gentleman in the last couple of days, and I don't really think he should do this, but I'll I'll leave him nameless, but a good friend of mine, he's thinking that he is going to take, with his son and grandson, a trip to Africa to go hunting. Now, this particular gentleman's health is not very good, but he's totally undaunted by it. He says, I'm going to go. He said they say the worst part will be the trip, the flight to Africa. It's 26 hours. I don't know how many of you enjoy a plane ride. Not that much. 26 hours. I think that. Now again, and that's, my, my only saying in that was to say, we live on a big planet. And yes, internet and all of the different electronic devices we have, have, shall we say, shrunk it, but still, there are dictators in place that don't want anyone to hear the gospel. That they don't want any Bible. And isn't it interesting? There's how many people have tried to decimate, to destroy the word of God? It will be here to the end, because God said it would. There are radio waves that can any Internet, for that matter, that can actually go inside a country and drop, if you will, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking of one what, what of the mission that we support: uh, Transworld radio. radio. Transworld radio. Isn't that fantastic? It's great stuff. Having the right message, being able to proclaim it, and even today it's daunting, isn't it? It continues. That's why you guys are part of it. That's why passing this baton on is part of you. You're part of this continuation for Jesus Christ to bring to fruition, really literally, the sense of his finishing the work. That work will be finished at his second coming. It will be done. And until then, occupy. Stay busy. Stay in it. Or are those, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about it a little bit later again as well. But the message is first and foremost. You've got to have the right message. There's only one message. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried for three days and rose again and lives on high. That's it. If he didn't rise from the dead, I, for one, would not be standing here. I've I've said it a hundred times probably. Maybe even more. you're probably tired of it. But it's true. You shouldn't be here either if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. He would be just one more dead guy that's got a grave place that I have to have whipped. I have to be able to conquer death, otherwise it means nothing. Now the other part of it is is not only the message should be right, but you have to have confidence in it. These 11 disciples at this point now were feeling very confident in Jesus Christ. They had met with him for nearly 40 days. For 40 days this Jesus had come to teach them individually, as a group. Meeting, teaching, doing, sharing the kingdom, gospel. In fact, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 again. Isn't this good? I got two sets of glasses here now. I didn't even know where one was at. I got them all over the place. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, and let's take a look. It ties in with the message, the confidence. Uh, Verse 3. We'll start there. For I delivered unto you, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, Paul speaking, that I also received how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now watch. And then He was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of, which, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. Other are still living while He's writing this, but some are fallen asleep. After that, He was seen of James, then of all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. The evidence, the confidence that these apostles had was over the top. And if you doubt that, if you think it was just a game, if it was something they were just believing in, here's this, here's, trust, ask yourself this. If you were living when Jesus Christ died, and he was, in fact, never risen from the dead, and then you, as that person, was, were asked to either be killed, or really to relinquish your belief in this Jesus Christ. If it's a fraud, what would you do? That's not too hard, is it? I'm going to walk away. I mean, I'm not going to die for a lie. Most people won't, that they know is a lie. Okay? There's lies that are believed today that people die for, but when you know it's a lie, you won't really die for that. You study the, the 11 disciples Outside of John the Apostle, they all died violent deaths that could have been avoided if they would have just said, you know what, Jesus' thing is a fraud. It really is. I know it in my heart. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. No, no, every single one of them. See, to me now, that's an infallible proof. That's on this side of the cross. They were totally convinced that Jesus was Lord. They were totally convinced that he was risen from the dead. That's an infallible proof for me the confidence level in myself, not only from the written word, which is first and foremost. In fact, uh, let's go here for a moment. This is Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 1. There's a sense of sometimes we get hung up on our experiences, and, and nothing wrong with experiences, testimonies, but there's something that's even more sure than that, and Peter makes reference to that. Hopefully I'm right here. And then again, maybe, I think it's 2 Peter Excuse me for just a second. Happens once in a while. Here we go. Verse sixteen. Second Peter. I, I was running the wrong Peter. Second Peter, chapter one, and verse sixteen. Here we go. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his Majesty. Now, that's pretty big. That's that's you know if you're a disciple and actually see Jesus, that means a lot. For he received from God, verse seventeen, the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to Him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with Him in the holy mount. Now think of that. That's even another level. When I say the transfiguration, remember those three disciples? They saw Jesus who He really was. He actually shone. And they saw the real glorified Jesus. So now think of it. They're there with Him. They see Him in this state. And then watch what He says next. We have also... A more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, and the day star rise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? I was there with Jesus. I actually saw Him. I was one of the select few. The inner circle that saw Him in a transfigured moment, and yet beyond that it's even more sure the Scripture is more powerful. How would you take on Satan if you were the Son of God? He was taken to the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 by none other than the Holy Spirit. Now I'm thinking, why would that happen for our sake? Because I want to see Jesus in the biggest battles. I want to see Him take on the biggest enemies. I want to see if He comes out on top. But the really cool thing for me is, Jesus Christ won against Satan by using exactly the same tool that you have in your hand. It is the Word of God. Now, Jesus could have called 10,000 legions or whatever. He could have called all of the angels and wiped and finally just whipped Satan. Do you know what he did? He beat him with the Word of God. Now, here's the part for us. This is why we need to absolutely get behind and know the Word of God ourselves. I'll tell you why. The second temptation, Satan, Satan himself pulls out of context Psalm chapter 91, verses 11 and 12. Takes it and twists it so that it looks like Jesus should be following what he's suggesting. Satan knows the Bible better than you do. He also knows how to twist it and takes it out of context to make you think something that's not true. Now, do you see how important it is for us to know the Word of God? I've said this a number of times, but if you would go to be a bank teller, I'm assuming it still continues to be the same. They don't have 1,000 different types of counterfeit bills that you need to be acquainted with all of these different bills because if one of those comes across, you need to know. No, they don't do it that way. What's the most, what's the best fail safe way to make sure that you don't get counterfeited? You study the real stuff. And if you have only the real stuff, when the counterfeit comes across, boom, you know it. I don't care if it's something new, something that's different, or something that, and when you say different, I'm just saying it looks, acts, smells, feels, but it's not the real thing. That's why it's so imperative that the Holy Spirit has the Word of God in your heart to be able to share, and to lead you along. That message comes only from reading and studying the Word of God. Not the counterfeits, the real stuff. Now, just to put in perspective, I'm going to try to do this because when we say I'm passing the baton, or Jesus is passing the baton to the apostles and to us, and it's still ongoing. We don't even know where it ends. We're 2,000 years in, and it's still continuing. But let me give you the scope of it. Let's say that you were looking at, what's your favorite artist, A big time? I mean, like Rembrandt or one of those. Let's go with Rembrandt. That just popped in my mind, okay? So Rembrandt's got this, I mean, and, and now you're talking to a non-artist. You're not talking a bad artist. You're talking non-artist. I, art class, what a joke. It was, it, was like, it was my teacher. Oh, nice try, Larry. But he couldn't even identify stuff. It's just not my deal. It's not in my DNA. But now, Mr. Rembrandt, has for days and weeks worked on this painting. And it is spectacular. I mean, it's the deal, right? Because he's really good at it. And then he sets his brush down and he says, Larry, I did everything except the eyes. I want you to finish it. <laughs> yeah, you're lying, and And you, you don't even know how bad I am, right? Does that not seem like the same thing? Because we've got Jesus Christ who just finished our redemption. He's beginning to do and teach, credible, beyond belief. He's doing what he says. And he says, now I want you to continue the work. Finish the job. (laughs) Did I catch you? That's daunting, isn't it? How does that happen? How can you do that? Isn't that, that's too much. It's too much, right? Sometimes I'm studying the Word of God to prepare to teach I'm just overwhelmed with my inadequacy. What a great place to be. Paul, when he said, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong, because then literally the Holy Spirit is leading us and guiding us and giving us strength. Well, it would be the same for us. Now, it's interesting. The third thing, the third ingredient, first was the message, the right message. Secondly is the right confidence. Okay? In other words, I'm just going back. Right message, right confidence. The third one is the right power. Let's go back to, 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 to Acts for a moment, and let's watch. Are you fired up yet? If you're an apostle, you're there. You, you literally, I mean, this is the end of the end, and he says, you need to, that's a job. That is a massive job, but I want you to go start, and I want you to get after it. And you're already confident. You've seen me. Wouldn't that pump you up? When's the last time you saw somebody that was dead in a grave, and he's risen, and you're, you're, you're interacting with him? That's a pump. I'm an upper, right? I get it. And then watch this. Acts chapter 1. He says in verse 3, let's go back to verse 2, speaking to theophilus again that Jesus began to both do and teach, verse 1, comma, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, 40 days with Jesus. And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Just like he started the ministry in Matthew chapter 4, verse 20, 23. Same deal. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Now, wait a minute. There's no, no pun on the second wait, but this is like ready, set, wait. Are you guys really good at waiting? I'm not. Especially when you, now wait, Jesus Christ has appeared to me for 40 days. In and out, in and up. peace be unto you, peace be unto you. Teaches me, shows me the Old Testament, shows how it works in the New Testament, not even written yet. I get the whole picture of the gospel. He says, now I want you to spread that to the entire world, but wait. <laughs> Why? Why would we want to wait? We better get started. And this is really important. How many tasks do we try to do of our own strength and fail miserably. Jesus knew there was no chance of this being accomplished, even though he was passing baton, even though he had started the beautiful picture, the beautiful painting. But again, if I would be like me, finishing a Rembrandt, oh, that's just, its almost like, you know, right? (laughs) It's terrible. But he knew this, they had to have additional power. They had to have power outside of themselves. Now think of this for a moment. What he's really saying, because the Holy Spirit is what's been promised. The Father promised it. The Son, Jesus Christ, promised it. And it's coming with just in a few days in this place in Jerusalem. He said, you need to wait in Jerusalem. But wouldn't it be different now? Think of this for a moment now. For me to have my hands on the brush, on a Rembrandt, you know, masterpiece. Well, what would happen if Rembrandt's hands were on mine? Finishing the painting. It's different, isn't it? That's exactly what happens when we have the Holy Spirit within us to continue the work that Jesus does. Now, without the Holy Spirit, we have no chance. Now, wait a minute. Before you go there, how many of you have the Holy Spirit? If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I'm here to, I was going to say congratulate you, and that's fair. But every single one of you that has accepted Christ as Savior has the Holy Spirit. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And as you're turning there, I'm going to actually read uh, the next verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. He says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And now I forgot where I told you to go. Oh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, are we all baptized or immersed or identified into one body. We're all identified by one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink in one Spirit. That's pretty clear. If you've trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And it's even better than that. He's seen as a down payment, or an earnest, if you will. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This is, this is as good a news as I could give to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14. In whom, well, this is back up one verse then, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted, trusted in Christ, after you heard the word of truth. And the gospel of your salvation in whom also after you believed, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Now there's a lot of stuff going on there, but literally you've certainly probably went out and bought a house at some point, or maybe maybe you haven't, but maybe tried, okay? One of the first things you do if you looked at the property, and sometimes it takes a couple of times, right? You look the first time, and you, I don't know about that. I, you know, It's nice, but I don't know. But you know what? You talk it over and let's go look at it again. And you say, that, that's the deal. I think that's the deal. I think that's it. Now there's something you have to do for you to place that thing or to hold that in a contract. You have to put earnest money down. You would put a portion of the required amount that you've made as a sales price. And, of course, it has to be agreed from buyer or seller. But that earnest money then would go into escrow account. Correct? Okay. Now, that's binding. And in our case, if you've got this, the Holy Spirit is the earnest money, if you will, that God used in your life when He saved you to absolutely guarantee that you will be glorified and be with Him in heaven. I cannot think of a better earnest money than that. You're sealed to the very end. That Holy Spirit is in every one of you that's trusted Christ. That's the power that is within you that is going to allow you to be part of the team that's going to finish the work that Jesus Christ began the Holy Spirit. The right message, the right confidence, the right power. Let's take a look at a few things of what Jesus actually had, had spoken of. Let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. He promised this would happen and it was essential that He leave for it to happen. They didn't think that was a great idea, but as it worked out, it's the only way that it was going to work. Uh, John chapter fourteen, verse twenty-six, says this: "But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you." And even back to verse seventeen, same chapter, verse chapter fourteen, says, "Even the Spirit of Truth." Boy, do we need the Spirit of Truth in the na- in the world today? I mean, I'm almost so to the point now. If, if and I don't listen very much; it's not that uplifting. But if you listen or look on the internet or on the television, and if it's something that is of the news, you can just say it's, it's a lie. It's so wrong. We need the Spirit of truth. Where do you find it? Stay tuned to the Word of God. Stay tuned. Verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and watch, and shall be in you. Shall be in you. That's the power of which, literally, you receive on in the inner man the ability to carry on the task that He has laid out for us. Now, there's those of you who are writing, taking notes, we have the right message, we have the right confidence, we have the right power. Let's look at the right mystery. And you're saying, what? What is that about? Well, let's go on. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, let's find a mystery, if you will. So, so far, these disciples that are assembled... They've now began, they've begun to see that there's something that they're to wait for. In fact, it's clearly stated that the Father has said that they will be baptized, immersed, submerged, if you will, that's the terms that are used, literally immersed, submerged into the Spirit, that that's going to happen in a few days. Now, visiting amongst themselves, that this sounds like the end. This sounds like Joel chapter 2 for those that would have studied the Old Testament are Ezekiel chapter 36. Just write these down. We don't, we're not going to go there today, but Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through whatever. You'll see where it ends up. But basically, the Spirit comes upon the people. They, they get a new heart. It, it just, it, it's, it's really cool, right? And they're seeing that at the very end. Joel chapter 2, the same thing. Your, your sons will, will prophesy, your daughters, you know, all of that, okay? And this is something that would be very in tune with their teaching from previous in, in, their, in their life. So they obviously come to verse 6 and they say, chapter 1 of Acts, when they therefore were come together they asked of Him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Sounds like the last days to us. Is this where it happens? Now again, they're looking at what kind of a kingdom? A physical, a physical kingdom. They're looking at literally the nation Israel becoming and taking in their mind the rightful place. Romans will be kicked out. They're going to be in charge, it's going, to be, it's going to be living large. Now this would have been a chance, you know, there's, there's that somewhat of a, I shouldn't even say a controversy, but there's those that say because the Jews rejected Christ that they're no longer in the picture. The church has replaced them, okay? This would be the grand spot for Jesus to say, oh, guys, got bad news for you, really bad news, you're out. But that's not what he says. He says something different. Let's look at verse 7. He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. What is he saying? None of your business. (laughs) So sorry. Don't worry about it. In fact, let's think about that for a moment. I said last week, we struggled a little bit. No, we struggled a lot with the weather and the calving and that sort of thing. And we did stuff I'd never done before. And if I would have known the whole picture of how it unfolded, I would have said, I may not have done it that way. But as it worked out, it was fine. Isn't, it, isn't your life somewhat the same way? What if you knew exactly the moment in time beforehand that you would die? I don't want to know that. I don't even want to know in making it uh, what we're talking about. I really don't want to know when Jesus Christ comes back. And when I'm saying, I should say the rapture, when he's going to meet us in the air. Two comings. He meets us in the air. That's... Eminent. That's the word I want you to see. Eminent. No signs necessary. Could happen this minute before I finish this sentence. There's nothing waiting for that. We meet him in the air. That's in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. That's the next eminent thing on the agenda. Now his second coming, there's there's things that are gonna happen. There are things that are going to take place prior to him landing again on the Mount of Olives. That's where he's at. That's where he took off from. That's where those two angels said. Why are you looking up? He's going to come in the same way and the same place. But this time, that mountain splits the Mount of Olives right outside of Jerusalem, that second coming. But honestly, see, this is part of the message. What would happen to you? Are any of you procrastinists, procrastinators? I see eyes dropping. <laughs> it's easy. And in some way, we all are, especially those with spiritual life. I can't tell you how many people I run into that... You talk about Jesus. You talk about the gospel. I'll, you know what? I'm gonna, I'll get with that later. I got some stuff I got to do, especially young kids. And I, I, I got I to gotta do some living. I got I to gotta get, right? But what if, since you don't know, it says today is the day of salvation. Don't fool around. Don't mess around. Today is this day. Don't mess around. This day is yours. This moment is yours. Nothing is guaranteed. What if you knew that Jesus was going to come on. And this is not a prediction because we know it wouldn't happen then. There's a guy you may have heard of, uh, Dr. Uh, What was his name? Uh, It wasn't the doctor. Harold Camping. He predicted 12 different times of when Jesus would come. And guess how many he got right? Zero. Why? Because in Mark chapter 13, verse 32, it says, no one knows. Even Jesus set aside in in, in his Incarnation, He literally set aside the full knowledge of he's not even I know. Only the Father knows. Think of that. So why are we bothering? Why are we wasting time? The really cool part of the eminent of that is, you know what? When I don't know, I act accordingly. If I knew Jesus wasn't going to come back until the year 2026, oh, I got some time, right? What, you, you're smiling because you know it's true. But if I don't know when he's coming, every day should be lived on the edge. Give it all you've got. Plan as you can, but never stop going. Isn't it true? There's a mystery that's good for us in proclaiming the gospel. Just the way God would want it. That's right, isn't it? That mystery is good for us. And we've talked about, uh, or we're going to talk about, so reviewing. Should we write these down or you guys got this stuff? Oh, this was from another day. Kind of like when you're younger, if you'd have known your parents were going to be home that early, you'd have never had that party. <laughs> or various other things, yeah. yeah. Various other things. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, I, you know, I, I can think about... If, I would have taken better care of myself if I knew I was going to last this long, right? <laughs> yes. Right? Okay, so let's let's just review. So the first... These would be the six ingredients to literally continuing or finishing the work that Jesus Christ did by finishing the work of redemption. Number one was... The right message. Number two. Boy, I have sloppy writing, aren't I? I'm trying to hurry. You can imagine how I would do on the Rembrandt painting, right? Three. I'm going to start, write power. I'm going to abbreviate. Number four. Write mystery. Okay. Number five is. You didn't think I'd write it up there, did you? I didn't write it up there. Number five. What's he asking to do? What's the word that he uses? You shall be witnesses. 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 That's what you're going to be. Have you ever, have you ever testified in a court of law? What do they ask you to do? Give your opinion? And how, how is that unfolded? They say, what did you... this is a, See? What did you hear. hear and what did you feel? They want to know just the facts. That's what a witness is. Isn't that exactly what we're describing? We've got the right message. We've got the right confidence. We know Jesus is alive. We've got the Holy Spirit here. We know in the sense of the eminency. The mission is for you to be a witness. A witness. You have to be the right. I'm, I'm not even going to say right. I'm just going to say you are. Now, if you say, I don't really want to be. You don't get it. You don't, that choice is done. When you trust in Christ as Savior, you're part of the team. Now, there's gift of of evangelism. There, we finally got it out. And they have almost, it is, it's a special gift for them to be able to, I don't know how it works, but it works. I've watched someone that has the gift of evangelism. It's amazing because it's the Holy Spirit working through them in a way that's just, whoa. But that doesn't let us off the hook. Every single one of us shares our life, and not just to teach or to talk, but to walk and talk. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Our lives are a witness. In fact, many times, uh, who was that? Was that Gandhi that said, "The reason I'm not a Christian is because of Christians." <laughs> Ooh! Ouch! Ouch! Right? Right? It's true. Our witness is not just what we say. How are you walking? Is it matching your talking? Jesus was a great, what a great example for us. A witness. Being a witness. Now, let's put it in in a court of law. So, the world is the judge. Okay, Got it for a moment? Just the world. This is someone that's not saved, someone that doesn't know Jesus personally. They're the judge. The Holy Spirit is the defense attorney for Jesus Christ. The defense attorney has called you on the witness stand to give witness to Jesus Christ that He is who He says He is. Oh, that's literally what we're talking about. So that the world can be convinced, or at least see the evidence of what you as a witness can share about Jesus Christ. Now, what does that tell us? We probably should know the Bible pretty well. We would know the truth so we could share the truth. It's not experience. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong with experience, if it matches God's Word, but we went to Peter for that reason. There's a more sure. This is the guy that walked with Jesus. This is the guy that saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he said it more sure is literally the Word of God. And there's one left, and you say, Man, we did that in record time. Well, you don't know how long this one will take. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So this is all good, but where do we fall apart? Got the message. Got the confidence. We know he's alive. we got the power. And again, that's something that's ongoing. That's ongoing, the power. You have to be continually filled with the the Spirit. How do you know someone has the Holy Spirit? Now, each and every one of you have it, but do you yield to him or do you resist? Do you yield or do you resist? How are you feeding? How are you feeding the Holy Spirit? You feed Him through His Word, through the, through the Word of God. But you'll see fruit. That's the thing about life. Life has fruit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such there is no law. You can't argue with that. That comes only from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you don't see any fruit, I'm not talking even in in yourself. Sometimes a good thing is to look in the mirror. What do I see? And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking about, let me just just diagnose my spiritual life. What do I look like? Am I doing? Do I have fruit? What does the fruit look like? If there's no fruit, I'll tell you this. You're not walking in the spirit, living in the spirit, yielding to the spirit. That's where the power continually comes from. These disciples, not only did they learn about the Scripture, as Jesus would have unfolded in those 40 days and even before, the fact they continued to yield to Him in all of this journey through Acts particularly and the rest of their lives. It's the same for us. Tomorrow morning, you're going to make a choice. What am I going to do with the Word of God? When He asks you, how much of you are, are, is mine? And by the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, He says, you were bought with a price. You are the temple of God, not like you could be, you should be, ask, no, no, you are the temple of God, so how do you, oh, you know, that room, that room's small, I kind of got it closed off, I don't go there much, is it any wonder then we're struggling with power? It happens easily, and again, I'm not being any, I'm, I'm just saying, this is for me too, I mean, this is straight away, Larry, listen to yourself. And that eminency, oh, that's good. Well, you don't know when it's going to happen. It was kind of like almost in a bad way. I don't know how, you, how the discipline was, but my mother took care of business at home, if you will. But when she said, you wait till your dad gets home, oh, that was a long time. Because <laughs> you wanted to get it over with, but you really didn't want to have it at all. And it was serious if it got to that level, right? No, okay. My dad didn't mess around. He got her done, no. <laughs> got her done. And then to be a witness. But there's something, there's one more thing. There's one more thing. There was a little, there was a little story, a, a children's program, and they had worked on a wagon all day long. Finally got the wheels on, they got the cart made, and they're excited about it. And they got this goat that's going to pull it. And you're already there, aren't you? You're already there. The cart looks fantastic. The guys are really happy with themselves about it. And they hook the goat up, and you know what? He won't pull it. He just sits there because goats do what they want to do. You've noticed that, haven't you? I'm even better. I don't have one, so I don't know a lot about them. So what are they going to do? How are they going to? Here's the word I want. How are they going to? Oh, didn't get. what was, what was it? Teach. Teach? Okay, deeper, deeper. How are we going to? Yes, that's it. How are we going to motivate the goat to do what we want him to do? So the one little boy, being the thinker of the group, takes a long pole, puts a carrot on the end. He's sitting in the cart and puts the carrot about one foot in front of the goat. Movement begins. That's called motivation. What motivates us? That's number six, by the way, is the right motivation. Right motivation now, there could be different things for different people, but honestly, the one that does drive me is, first of all, the Scripture says so. I, I believe I'm 100% behind the inerrancy of Scripture. I believe what it says because it's true. And it, as it's unfolded, if, you wanna, if, you wanna, if you're into that and you aren't sure of the Scripture, go ahead and start taking the prophecies that were declared about Jesus Christ and those that have been fulfilled, just those that have been fulfilled. It is a one with a zeros that are really... It's, no, it's, it's impossible. It lines up. It's true. It absolutely fits. But let's take a look at our text. Let's go back to Acts one more time, and let's take a peek. He said, It is not for you to know the times or seasons, verse 7, which the Father hath put in His own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto Me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. When He had spoken these things, while they beheld, He was taken up, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. That must have been amazing. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. They just show up, which also said, "Uh, you men of Galilee, why are you standing looking or gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you shall see him go into heaven. Motivation, he is coming again. There's no question about it. Now, in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, well, let's go there for a moment. That, that's, a, that's a really important passage for numbers of reasons. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're, we're about to close up. 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's take a look at this. This is, this is stuff that you've probably heard if you've been sharing the message. Verse 8. Now, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. That's hard for us to even grasp. A thousand years ago would be what? 1,024. That hurts my head. And with God, it's, it's like one day. It doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Time is, well, He created time. And then, verse 9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but as long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. There are those today that believe that, well, in fact, verse 3 says, knowing this, first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of His coming? Have you heard that? Second coming. Or have you even heard this from non-Christians saying, it took longer than the second coming. They don't even know what they're saying. But you know, it's so fixed now that it's something that's way, way off. One day, it's going to happen just like that. And the imminency of it, it's boom, just like that. And I have to believe when you start to look at the things that are being talked about at the world levels, higher levels of leadership, what's taking place, we are close. We are close. When I was a young, young guy, which has been a few years back, you know, the mark of the beast in Revelation, didn't make a lot of sense to me, honestly. I mean, yeah, it did, but how would they do that? They could do it multiple ways today, multiple ways The currency, whatever, I'm just calling it that, it could be in any place in the world. Right now they're talking about a digitized currency. I don't know where your minds go with that, but literally, if you've got money, if you will, I'm using that word now, in a digitized account, guess what they can do? They can control you to the nth degree, tell you where to go, when to go, how long to go, not to go. All of a sudden, you are just exactly who they say you're going to be. Now, does that not sound like the mark of the beast? And the whole system, that's where we're at. Now, I'm not saying that we could, we could go down that trail, but I'm going to just su- suffice it to say we are getting pretty close. Pretty close. It's even more imperative that we take the right message with the right confidence, with the right power, using the mystery to witness with the motivation that he is coming back. And you are just as actively involved in this as those 11 apostles were when they took, received that message. The world needs Jesus Christ just as bad. In fact, in America, never needed it worse. There are kids today that probably don't even know what the Bible is, let alone what, it, what it's about. What does that mean to us? Let's get about the business. Now, there's resistance from every place. Spiritual warfare, it's amazing. It's amazing, the spiritual warfare, the levels that it can come at. But I'm going to leave you with this verse. In First John, let's just turn there. Take your Bibles and turn to First John chapter four, verse four. First John four four. We need to remind ourselves of this. First John four four. You are of God, little children. That's a it's an endearing salutation that John uses for those that he's writing to, and have overcome them because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. You need to submerge yourself, immerse yourself in that. Greater is He that is in the world than He. I'm sorry, greater is he that is in you that is in the world than he that is in the world. I'm gonna, I've probably done this, and most of you know this because I've tricked you before. The really cool thing is, is who God is. If I was going to ask you who is the opposite, who is the antonym of God, you would say no one. Now, I've, had some, I've, had, I've, I've tricked some. And so some of you looking. They didn't want to participate. I'm like, where is he going with that? Now, if I would say what's the opposite of good, it's easy to come with evil. And actually, evil is the absence of good. But that's okay. But that's how you get there because what you wanted to say was the opposite of God is Satan. Go ahead and say it because that's what you wanted to say. I'm here to say with exuberant joy, it is impossible because Satan is a created being. He can only be at one place at one time. God has him totally and completely at his disposal. God is eternal, omnipotent, <laughs> omnipresent. Here's only God. No one else. That's whose side you want to be on. And you can be. Praise God for... Are you guys... How do you see it? Now, what's your perspective? Are you building a cathedral? Are you building... Or are you just putting a rock in a slot? And don't you want the master's hands be able to... In fact, I just thought of it. What was that song, the violin? Uh, the... Uh, the Touch of the Master's Hand, what, what was Do you guys remember that one? Oh great, I'm the only one. This is, this is gonna go over really good. But it was like this old violin, right? And there's a song about it, it's, it's actually the word. There's an old violin and it's just at the end of an auction. And it looks old and it looks right, it's tattered, and I, well it couldn't be tattered because the guy plays it, but, and it was like, who give me a dollar? Who give me two dollars? Do you guys remember this now? No, oh my goodness. I, I'm gonna, Laramie, I'm gonna, let's find that, we're gonna play it next week because it's really cool. You, you think I'm lying now. So, anyway, so here's, at the end of the auction, it's like a dollar, two dollars. And finally, here's an old gentleman walks up slowly to the front. And he takes the violin. And he plays it. And he gives it back. The auctioneer says, who will give me a thousand? Who will give me two thousand? And you see the work in Jesus' hands and the Holy Spirit strengthening you becomes a whole bigger thing because now it's not you painting that picture it's not even Rembrandt's hand surrounding you it's the Holy Spirit guiding you in the message to the people are you excited ah it's good stuff And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world let's pray oh one more thing one more thing Here's another thing. If you, if, you go, if you tune in a radio, and radios have gotten a lot better, obviously. You remember from yesteryear, the AMs, you know, and then you could just, you know, you just could barely get it. But I'm thinking, I was thinking today, just a few hours ago, that what stations do we tune into? One that you may listen to is K-Love. Have you heard of K-Love? I think it's on, there's, it's, it's kind of across the nation in various spots. But unfortunately, once in a while, we turn into K-Self. K-S-E-L-V-F, I'm sorry. And it's all about us. We have trouble focusing on that when we're tuned into K-self. Or K-me, that's another popular one. Are you turned into K-Jesus? K-Lord? That's how that gets really, really on fire. Be sure of what you're listening to. Be sure of where your eyes are going. That focus, you're going to focus on something when you focus on the right message with the right confidence, with the right power, in the presence of the mystery, that eminency, then the mission becomes motivated by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for the opportunity we've had to just gather around Your Word. The power of the Holy Spirit is amazing. We thank You for the Spirit even being here right now, speaking to us, to individuals. There may be someone here today that hasn't trusted Christ before, someone that doesn't know Jesus personally. And yet Jesus Christ died for that person. And right now, that person in the inner sanctum of their heart can repent of their sin. They have no power to change themselves. But by faith, by trusting, fully engaged in leaning upon Jesus Christ wholly in the sacrifice that he committed himself to, trusting in him completely by faith, then grace is exploded within that person. They're receiving God's riches at Christ's expense. They literally have become a new creation. The Holy Spirit will take residence. They now are freed from the power and the penalty of sin. That's the gospel. That's the gospel unfolding one at a time. Our world isn't, is not totally engaged in power and politics and whatever it might be to guide and direct and push people around. But literally, the power of the gospel is one soul at a time, building the church one person at a time. Father, thank you for what Jesus accomplished. Thank you for these who are gathered here today in their desire to know more about you. You are worthy to be praised and worshiped. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Today being the first Sunday of the month, I think Paul has made reference to it.